Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Podcast the Disturbing America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday night, December 22nd, 2020, people. I hope everyone is having a great week. Uh, and if this sounds different, it is because this is a little bit of a different episode. So if you listen to this show regularly, if you listen to Monday's episode, you know that I said, I'm not doing another episode till Christmas. And I'm an idiot. And I lied, and we are doing a bonus episode just because I said I would only do a show if something major happened. And at least in the world of college basketball, there is major news over the last 24 hours. Kentucky has sent one of its players, Cameron Fletcher, home to St. Louis. John Calipari, a very strongly worded statement about what is going on with that young man, his future with the program. And I think as Kentucky sits at one and five, there are some broader questions about Kentucky basketball overall. And so because of it, this is going to be a very Kentucky-heavy show. I know a lot of Kentucky fans listen to this show. I know a lot of people, by the way, are not Kentucky fans but are enjoying the turmoil in Lexington, but it is a huge topic in the college basketball world. And so how the show is going to work is this. First, I'm going to give my little spiel on what happened, what I think happened, what I think's going on with this program, what is fixable, what isn't, what are the concerns, what are not. I'm going to do that very briefly. That's why I'm doing this via Zoom. And then after that, I'm going to bring on my buddy Jack Pilgrim, works for Kentucky Sports Radio, hosts a podcast called the Sources Say Podcast. And if you've never heard Jack or you're not familiar with Jack, he is as plugged in as anybody covering the Kentucky beat. He is a wealth of knowledge. And he and I are going to spend a solid 30, 40 minutes trying to figure out what is wrong with Kentucky basketball. Can it be fixed? What are the short-term problems? What are the long-term problems? What needs to change, not only this season, but in the bigger picture of Kentucky basketball is they're now going on potentially a sixth straight season without a Final Four, which at Kentucky feels like a lifetime. So Jack Pilgrim will join me momentarily. But very briefly, I just want to give my thoughts on the current situation at Kentucky. A lot of this I'll talk to Jack about, but I just thought I'll get my opinion out there. Jack will join me momentarily. And so let's get into it. 
obviously, as I mentioned, the story of the day, the story of the moment in college basketball is the University of Kentucky. They fell to one in five against the university uh, uh, after losing, excuse me, to the University of North Carolina on Saturday. And if you've listened to this show, you know, I've largely glossed over it. Calipari will figure it out. It's not that bad. This is a bad situation. And I still think some of that is true. But I also think that Saturday felt different. If you follow the tea leaves, I talked a little bit about it on Sunday's episode, Monday's episode. But uh, if you follow the tea leaves, like I said, this just felt different. Um, first of all, as I said on the last episode, Keon Brooks, who is a player that has not played yet this season, was the only player willing to go to the podium after the game. And that was very bizarre. Now, I thought it was actually a very nice gesture by Keon Brooks, speaking of being a leader, stepping up, uh, you know, taking a bullet, for lack of a better term, when a lot of your teammates are down. But that was definitely not normal. Um, John Calipari, in what is now a famous meme that will live on in infamy, showed up to the postgame Zoom in, in a, a leather jacket, and he looked like, you know, I think the term I used was a, a guy that just uh, lost his job, got divorced, and lost his puppy uh, living in a one-bedroom apartment with a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling. That was how John Calipari looked after the game. He looked defeated. And then most notably, a player named Cameron Fletcher, who I just referenced a minute ago, actually was seen crying on the sidelines and was taken back to the locker room during the game. Um, and if you just, without even being a Kentucky fan or a non-Kentucky fan, uh, if you just saw that circumstance, you could see that something isn't right, that this cannot be taken as, oh, Calipari will figure it out. He always does. Now, I do think there is an element of truth to that, but you can tell this is a much, much, much bigger situation. So let's get into it specifically. Let me start because I, I do want to say a few things about Calipari in this program where I will defend him. And I'm not going to sit here and defend him blindly and say he's never done anything wrong. This has nothing. This doesn't fall on him at all because a lot of this does. And we'll get into that momentarily. But the first thing I will say is, as I said, when the news came out that Cameron Fletcher had was not with the team for the moment, John Calipari put out a very strongly worded statement that essentially said that um, he needs to step away from this program to figure some things out himself. Um, we have a standard that we hold our players to emotionally, maturity-wise, and he is not living up to that standard right now. And I think people who don't follow Kentucky basketball or even college basketball on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis would sit there and say, oh, there goes John Calipari passing the buck, placing the blame on somebody other than himself. And that was not how I read the situation at all. If you follow college basketball, if you follow Kentucky, you know that John Calipari is largely almost blindly loyal to his guys will always take his guys' sides publicly, even if privately maybe some things are going on that we in the public don't know about. Uh, I go to last year. If you remember, before Kentucky's final regular season game, their starting point guard, Ashton Hagens, did not travel with the team. And it became a big story. And you heard all sorts of stuff. And John Calipari just said, look, we're leaving him behind for the day. It's okay. Ashton is going to be fine. We're going to need him going forward. Now, little did anyone know that there would be no college basketball season after that because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but Calipari very publicly defended his guy, said what's going on is internal. We're going to keep it internal and we're going to move forward. There was a player earlier in the season named Khalil Whitney who transferred in the middle of the season. John Calipari, we love the kid. We'll fight for him. We'll do anything for him. We're going to help him in any way that we can. 
So John Calipari has a very strong track record of protecting his guys publicly, which says to me that the issue with this young man, Cameron Fletcher, uh, is not to do with just crying on the sidelines, which again, I defended him for on Saturday and Sunday's episode, um, that there's something bigger going on here. And maybe we get the full details and maybe we don't. And independent of whether we do or not, I think it's important to note, it doesn't make Cameron Fletcher a bad human being. Um, he's young, he's learning, he's away from home for the first time. He's probably being challenged in a way uh, that he has never been challenged before, probably being frankly yelled at in a way that he's never been yelled at before. And this thing isn't easy. And I said on Sunday's episode, it's a tough circumstance for him to be in. It's a tough circumstance for all these college basketball players to be in where you're not only away from home, you're away from your family. You can't even bond with your teammates off the court because really all that you're doing is going straight from the practice facility back to the dorm, back to the practice facility, back to the dorm, and you're playing. And so when you don't get the satisfaction and gratification of winning, it's extremely frustrating. And when you're not even playing, I think it's extremely frustrating. And so I'm not going to sit here and tear the kid down because he had a moment of weakness. And I'm not even going to tear the kid down because maybe behind the scenes, he isn't doing the things that are expected of a Kentucky basketball player. Um, and I'm not going to blame John Calipari for saying we hold our players to a higher standard. Again, it doesn't mean this Cameron Fletcher kid is a bad kid. Doesn't mean that he's not going to grow from this and mature from this. And it sounds as though John Calipari is leaving open the door of, if you grow up a little bit, you can come back and be a part of what we're doing. But I do think John Calipari had to put his foot down, had to do whatever he felt was necessary. And so right now this kid is home and away from the team. It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. In terms of the broader picture of the Kentucky basketball program, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Kyle Tucker, the beat writer for The Athletic, who has blocked me for a second straight time on Twitter. I don't know why. But, um, you know, Kyle Tucker kind of said that internally there's some push-pull with the program, with the players, and a lot of the guys just simply aren't bought into what John Calipari and his coaching staff are teaching. Again, I'm not going to put 100% of that on the players. I'm not going to put 100% of that on John Calipari. What I do think, and again, this is not an excuse. It's a reason, as I said on last episode. I think this is almost a perfect storm for something like this to happen at a place like Kentucky. You look at the circumstances of the season. Like I just said a minute ago, we've had fewer practices than ever before. Players got to campus later than ever before. They don't get to hang out off the court and get to know each other in a way that they normally do. For people who don't understand what I'm talking about, because of COVID-19 and contact tracing, what's essentially happening is the second that players, the players leave their the, the practice facility, they're being asked to go back to their dorm and they can't even hang out as a team outside of the dorm. And so when you look at that circumstance, when you look at the fact that Kentucky had not a single player returning from last season that has since played a game, they had one returning player. His name was Keon Brooks. He has not played because of injury. You take a super young team, even the veterans that are transfers don't know the system, don't know their teammates, don't know Calipari. And I think you have an almost perfect storm for a circumstance like what we are seeing at Kentucky right now. And I would add, it doesn't help that Kenny Payne, who was a longtime assistant, Calipari's right-hand man forever, um, left to take an NBA coaching opportunity with the New York Knicks. And I think he is missed inside that locker room. I think he is missed um, in terms of being a sounding board for players when John Calipari, who is notoriously tough on his guys, I think Kenny Payne is really missed inside that locker room. So again, not the player's fault, not John Calipari's fault, not an excuse 
but this is just the perfect storm for a situation like this to happen at Kentucky. And oh, by the way, um, they don't get any big, any, excuse me, small, easy games in the, in the, the out of conference to get it right. I think a big issue that Kentucky is facing right now is the simple fact that if you look at the circumstance at University of Kentucky, um, they have their schedule has been brutal. They open with Moorhead State and destroyed them. After that, they play Richmond, who's really good. Then they play Kansas, who's number two or number three in the country. As I record this, they're getting set to play West Virginia tonight. Um, you go to Georgia Tech, you go to UNC, you go to Louisville, uh, Notre Dame. I mean, we're talking all Power Five, Power Six conference teams. And I do think a big part of this is if you just get the chance to play uh, a couple crappy teams and beat up on them and you, you win by 30 and everybody gets playing time and everybody gets buckets and everybody feels good about themselves, a lot of this would go away. And so, again, I think that plays into the perfect storm of all this where I do think that Kentucky is probably hurt by that than anybody else. Um, you know, Gonzaga returns most of their team. Baylor returns most of their team. Um, you know, uh, uh, West Virginia, Kansas, the teams, Rutgers, the teams that are playing well in college basketball are the teams that have guys back that know each other, that are confident. The teams that are struggling right now are the teams like Kentucky. By the way, Tennessee, another team, returns everybody. They've been awesome early on. Again, it's not an excuse for Kentucky, but I do think it's an explanation for some of what is going on. Now, I do think going forward and looking ahead, not only to this Cameron Fletcher situation, I do think this is a crossroads turning point moment for John Calipari in this program. Not to say they won't make Final Fours or win national championships, um, but I do worry about you know, the John Calipari blueprint of building a program that worked seven, eight, nine, ten years ago when John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and the guys I wrote about in my book, One and Fun, I don't know that that blueprint works anymore. And so let me explain why. Um, for people, I, I know everybody knows, but, you know, John Calipari is a guy that has brought in the best of the best out of high school. He knows he's only going to have them for a year, and he supplements them with, with guys that he hopes are going to stay two, three, four years. Um and you kind of balance out the really elite NBA players with the really good college players, and you hope you have a championship caliber team. It happened in 2010 with the John Wall team where uh, 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 John Calipari inherited a lot of players from Billy Gillespie. It happened in 2012 where some veterans returned. It happened in 2015 when you had the elite freshmen, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, to go along with some veterans, Willie Cauley-Stein, the Harrison twins, et cetera. However, what I would say is over the last couple of years, I think th there's some things that are going on in college basketball that I think John Calipari needs to look in the mirror and see how he is building his roster. First of all, it's tougher to get the best players than ever before. When John Calipari, and I've talked about this for years now, but when John Calipari started, John Wall wanted to go to North Carolina and Roy Williams said, I, I don't know, you're only going to be here one year. I don't know if I can recruit you right now, man. You, I don't know if I can recruit you. Um, and so, you know, not everyone was recruiting these one and done guys. Now everybody is just like, give me an Anthony Edwards for a year. Give me a, um, a Cade Cunningham for a year, a Jalen Suggs for a year. And if I have to rebuild and restart, that's fine. Because guess what? It's not just Kentucky that's rebuilding their roster every year. It's basically everybody. It's harder than ever to keep players in programs right now because of the transfer situation. College basketball has changed, man. There are not programs that are going to, you know, kids are not going to wait three, four, five years in any program to develop. 
they're going to, if they're not playing by year two, they're going to transfer out. That's not a Kentucky problem. That's an everywhere problem. Duke has lost players to transfer. Uh, Villanova has lost players to transfer. Virginia has lost players to transfer. Gonzaga has lost players to transfer. And that's the new norm in college basketball where it's harder than ever to build a team. And it's harder than ever to build a team in this climate, especially when you're bringing in one and done guys. And so where I think John Calipari has to look in the mirror is this. I talk about it a little bit with Jack Pilgrim later on in the show. Um, but over the last couple of years, it feels as though John Calipari has always had kind of a whipping boy. Um, that no matter what the kid does, they, 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 they can't get on the court. They can't do anything right. And no matter what they do, they can't get in John Calipari's good graces. Remember a few years ago, there was a kid named Sasha Kalea Jones, who I thought was pretty good. Now, he ended up leaving and transferring to NC State. There were some issues, and he never played there. So maybe that wasn't a Kentucky thing. But a few years after that, a kid named Jamal Baker could never get on the court for Kentucky, um, could never do anything right by John Calipari. And guess what? He transferred to Arizona. He's one of their leading scorers this year. He's phenomenal. Johnny Juzang last year. I know it's a little bit of a different situation. He played a little bit more, but let's be honest. He played more because Kentucky had no other options. He transfers to UCLA. He's averaging double figures right now. And so where I think John Calipari has to look in the mirror is I think you have to be more patient with these kids that are going to be with you for two, three, four years. I think you have to play them more. I think you have to give them an opportunity. I think it can't just be about highlighting or, or featuring the two, three guys that are going to go to the NBA next year. Now, listen, you need to put the ball in your best play players' hands and let them make plays. I get that. And I also agree to a degree with John Calipari's comments of, I have to let some of these guys miss some shots so that they'll have the confidence to make them later. I'm not saying you got to pull your best players because this system has worked. I talked about it on last episode. Tyler Hero was abysmal the first couple months that he was on campus. You can go back and look at the box scores. He couldn't defend anybody. He couldn't make open jumpers. And John Calipari just kept putting him out there, putting him out there, putting him out there. And Tyler Hero evolved into a player that Kentucky could count on. Now the Miami Heat can count on him, and he's a star. Um, you know, uh, last year there were guys like that with um, – you know, some of the guys that they had on that team. And so I get the idea of wanting your best players to be able to work through their mistakes, but I think you have to give an opportunity to some of these younger guys and build up their confidence too. You have to give not only a, a, a Jamal, a Jamal Baker's a perfect example. You got to give him a chance. You got to give Cameron Fletcher a chance. And I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe it wasn't even an opportunity that you could give him. But Cameron Fletcher started two or three games ago, so you can't tell me that he's been that bad, that uncoachable, that anything, because he just started two or three games ago. Um, you know, uh, you know, Dante Allen is a redshirt freshman who I talked about uh, on last episode, who I'll talk about with Jack Pilgrim here. You got to give that guy opportunity because it's not just about building up your best players for this season. You also have to build up your role players so that next year, maybe they can be the stars, right? Think back to last season. I know I'm getting super Kentucky heavy on this show, but it's an important conversation to have. Last season, Emmanuel Quickly was a player that was coming off the bench to start the season. He ended up as the SEC player of the year. He pushed through it. He fought. He eventually built his own confidence, but I think it's on the coaching staff to build the confidence of some of these other guys that you know that you're not just going to have to count on in a week from now, but in a year from now, 
when BJ Boston and Terrence Clark and all these great one and done guys are gone, you're going to have to rely on these guys as sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And instead what happens is the exact opposite. John Calipari pushes them away, pushes them away, put, they end up transferring and having success elsewhere. And so I just think that as John Calipari evolves in his career, I think he has to look at the changing landscape of college basketball. I think, first of all, it is going to be harder to get those elite players. One, all these colleges want them. Two, the G League has this option. And three, um, we might live in a world in the not-too-distant future where the one-and-done rule is removed. And so even if the one-and-done rule isn't removed, um, if there's four or five elite players in every class and one or two of them are choosing this G League route, it's one or two less elite players that you have access to. And what I would say beyond that, and I think it's something that nobody is talking about when it comes to Kentucky, I think this one-time transfer rule might hurt Kentucky more than anybody else. Now, yes, they'll be able to go out and get the best players from other schools that want a bigger stage and a bigger opportunity, no different than Olivier Saar and Davion Mintz, two players that transferred in this year. But I think those guys that are sitting at the end of the bench, they're not going to sit there and deal with Calipari for two or three years waiting for their shot. They're just going to say, screw this guy. He's not giving me a shot. Every time I go in, I can do nothing right. Um, you know, the, the guys that he thinks are stars can do nothing wrong. I'm out of here. And we've seen it already when guys have had to sit out. So imagine what's going to happen now when guys don't have to sit out if they want to transfer. And so I think this is an important moment in time for John Calipari and who he is and how he builds this program. Again, I'm not saying he can't have success. I'm not saying he can't make Final Fours or win a national championship. I think that line is actually crap. Last year, he won the SEC. Had a they had as good a chance as anybody to win it all. The year before, they were in the Elite Eight with a chance to go to the Final Four. 2018, uh, 27, what was it? 2017, which was the deer and Fox Bam at a bio year. They were basically a buzzer beater from going to the final four. So I don't buy this notion that it's a lost cause and they'll never be able to figure it out. And this thing can't be fixed. But I do think John Calipari has to look himself in the mirror and really think about how he's building this program, how he can keep some players that aren't one and done type guys in this program for two, three, four years, because you need those veteran guys. And you can't just keep pushing them, keep pushing them, keep pushing them. You can't never play them. You can't not give them dessert after they're working as hard in practice as the star players. And I think it's an important moment in time. And what I will say is, and I've said this in other interviews, the great coaches, you can criticize Coach K for a lot of stuff, but Coach K has evolved with the time. He started working with Team USA about six, seven, eight years ago. I guess it was more now. It was about 15 years ago. But he saw the way that spacing and three-point shooting mattered. And all of a sudden, all he does is space and shoot three-pointers. He uses his big guys and his um, wings differently, almost like it's an NBA-type setting. Um, he's gone after the one-and-done guys in a way that he didn't seven, eight, nine years ago. Uh, I will take it to a football. Nick Saban, I think his greatest gift has been his ability to evolve as a head coach in college football in the current climate. 10 years ago, Nick Saban was trying to win games 14-12. Now he's, you know, he put up he puts up 50 points every week. And Nick Saban saw, listen, man, I can't try to win every game 14-12. The sport is changing. The game is changing. I have to change too. And I think when John Calipari, I think it is a little bit of self-reflection. And again, it's not to say he's not a Hall of Famer. It's not to say he's on the hot seat. It's not to say he's going to be fired. It's not to say he's not a, an incredible coach, one of the greatest that we've ever seen do it. By the way, it's not even to say that this thing can't be figured out this year. 
I'll talk to Jack about it in a minute, but I sit there and say, man, it just feels like if they could just get one of these wins under their belt, they can get on a little bit of a roll here. But I do think that John Calipari, Kentucky fans, you're going to get mad at me for saying this. He's got to take a page out of Coach K's book. He's got to take a page out of Nick Saban's book, and he's got to evolve. He's got to be more patient. He's got to be willing to build up the end of his bench. I'm not saying you got to play your ninth guy for 40 minutes, but if you're going to recruit him and you're going to give him a scholarship, you got to give him an opportunity. And I think that has happened far too much. And I think you got to change in these changing times, because again, I think it's going to be harder and harder to get those difference making freshman type players. So that's my rant. I hope it made sense. I'm doing this all off the top of my head. I wasn't planning on doing a podcast today, but 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 you know the, the Jack Pilgrim conversation really got me thinking. And like I said, I really thought that this was an important moment in time to have this conversation about Kentucky and about Kentucky basketball. And it can all be fixed with a win over Louisville on Saturday, but I don't think there's anybody that thinks that outside, frankly, maybe Louisville fans who have struggled with Kentucky through the years. I don't think there's a single person that thinks this this will be fixed the way things are trending. But when I look at Kentucky, I guess what I would say is there's part of me that says, yes, I absolutely trust John Calipari. There's also another part of me that says, man, this guy's really got to think about what he's doing and how he's doing it. It's not 2010 anymore. You're not going to keep those role players for two, three, four years if you don't give them an opportunity. And the one and done guys might not be as good as they once were. So I hope that made sense. I'm going to talk about a lot of this with Jack Pilgrim coming up. So stay tuned. But I hope that made sense. And I think, again, I hope you all have a Merry Christmas because I expect this to be the last episode uh, of the Aaron podcast until Christmas. And so I'll reiterate what I said on the last episode. I want to thank you so much. Thank you for all your guys' support. The numbers have been insane uh, over this last year. I, you know, I check the numbers every day. I'm religious um, about it. You know, what works, what doesn't, what topics are you guys into, what topics are you not into. Um, but just thank you. I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. Um, if you're still looking for a gift, cameo.com, Aaron underscore Torres, but that's all. Uh, so, yeah, let's get to Jack Pilgrim. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel. It's my voice. I'll probably be back on Monday, probably not before Christmas. If I don't see you, have a very Merry Christmas. But I do hope that everything is well for you guys. Uh, and let's get to Jack Pilgrim, and I'll talk this out with him and see where he stands with all this. All right, joining me on the phone, or I guess via Zoom, but as mentioned, I uh, said it off the top, but but he is a guy that I lean on uh, for, for really everything Kentucky basketball related. He's the host of the Sources Say podcast, covers Kentucky basketball for Kentucky Sports Radio, just does this beat as well as anybody, knows this team, the recruitments as well as anybody, uh, and making some time during the holidays. So, so Jack Pilgrim, I think we both were hoping uh, things would be nice and easy this week, but... I appreciate you making some time in what has all of a sudden turned into a very busy week uh, in the world of college basketball, specifically at Kentucky. How you doing, man? Uh, I, I wish I could say I were better. I wish things were better and things were a, a little bit easier. But uh, uh, yeah, th things are just ramping up by the day, it seems like. All right, so let's get into it. I, I kind of laid it out. Everybody that would listen to something like this knows the deal, but um Awful season to start, one in five, historically awful start. Um, 
and with it comes obviously just, you know, inner turmoil. You know, it's not kumbaya when you're one in five, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. But you add in the fact that it's a pandemic. I think, um, you know, uh, mentally, we're all in a, in a weird place right now. I mean, it was funny before all this came out on my Sunday show, I said, I don't blame Cam Fletcher for having a little bit of a meltdown on the sidelines. We're all just in a, a, a weird place right now. But clearly, it's more Cam Fletcher has essentially – you know, Coach Calipari asked him to leave the team, take some time away. Um, you know, just as we sit here, we're recording late Tuesday. Where are things? Where do things stand? Are they as bad as they appear? I, it's a loaded question, but I'm just going to, like, throw it. I'm going to toss the ball to you. Uh, unlike uh, Kentucky basketball, it won't be turned over. I'm going to toss it <laughs> over to you. And just wherever you want to take it from, go ahead, man. Well, I, I haven't really put this out there or done anything. This is the, you're hearing this first before anybody. So last night, UK had a staff only meeting. Uh, it was a, a little staff dinner where they basically kind of came together. And, and my understanding, it was a, what the hell are we doing right now? What, where do things go? What do we need to do with this team? Do we need to change things up? How are we going to approach this moving forward? Because I think, I think there is a sense of panic within that organ with, within the program right now of, of where do we, is this a national, you know, not even title contender. Is this an NCAA tournament team? Is this season going to crumble? I mean, can we even come back from this? I think the, I think that kind of reality is starting to set in a little bit, no matter what they're saying publicly and, you know, all the, we're going to go get them against Louisville and things are all great. I I think there is a, a legitimate sense of, okay, we got to get something. We got to get something done now because things are not looking good at all. Um, so yeah, I, it, obviously the big outbreak happened uh, on Saturday, I believe. Yeah. Saturday against uh, UNC with Cam Fletcher uh, sobbing at the end of the bench, some back and forth between Terrence Clark and, and uh, coach Calipari. And then like 35 minutes later, we were, we, we were still waiting for coach Cal to come out for his press conference when he finally did, it wasn't even him to start with. He sent out Keon Brooks, who didn't even play a single minute, um, sent sent him out there. And he he said that it was uh, – Keon ended up saying that it was his own decision. He, want, he wanted to kind of be the voice for his team right now. But Cal didn't go out first. He sent Keon out first. And then Cal, when he came out, he just looked like he just got hit with a sack of bricks. I mean, he looked horrible. Um, the, his quotes, he had some horrible quotes. Uh, it was one of the worst media appearances I've I've personally seen him – do and then he did his coaches show uh, Monday evening and kind of felt like he was trying to rally the troops again but there was still a whole lot of desperation in there and I I think that's kind of the the best word to describe this right now is this this program is very desperate for something to go right because it it, nothing has the last four weeks yeah no and and that was going to be my question because you know just from the outside and I don't cover this team necessarily every single day like you do although we all anyone who loves college basketball follows it is aware of what's going on at Kentucky and there's been bumps in the road early in the season even the last couple years I mean you and I were both in Vegas last year when they fell uh, in back-to-back games and they rallied beat Louisville everything was good obviously the year before there was a situation with Duke Uh, Am I crazy, but it sounds like my perception from the outside is what you just said, is that it is in fact different, that this isn't just a, we just need another week of Camp Cal practices and we'll be good, that this feels like it's deeper than just, 
uh, give us some time, we'll figure it out, which is largely, and I think in defense of those that have always said, you know, Cal will figure it out, and, and to a degree, I still believe that he will, but this feels larger than that, and that has always kind of been the, the rallying cry and the calling card at this time in the year previously is Calipari always figures it out, but this feels way deeper than that, at least from the outside. Two and two, three and three, you know, even three and four. When you get that type of record, you could at least look and go, all right, well, we're still, we're still right at that 500 mark. We can, you know, we just got to give, get ourselves right, you know, right back above water and, you know, to, to keep us from drowning. And, and that's where that, that's kind of where you take things over. But one in five is one in five. I mean, we're talking historically bad start and it, it, you're right. It, it does have that different feel to it because in past years, even when things got off to a rocky start, you could still look at individual things and go, okay, that right there is what this team needs to do. You look at this roster right now and you throw your hands up and you're like, well, I don't even know where they would even start. You, They, they don't have a point guard. You're getting inconsistent minutes out of Olivier Saar. He looks like a superstar one game and then is completely invisible the very next against a, a true elite front court in North Carolina. When you need him to be who he is, he goes out there and was essentially invisible. Um, I mean, inconsistent play from BJ Boston kind of emerging as a chucker, you know, bad shot selection type guy. I mean, there, there are so many holes on this roster right now. And you kind of look around and you're you like, where would they even begin? And who is going to be their starting point guard? Is Terrence Clark going to be that guy long-term? Because he sure has, sure hasn't shown anything long-term. I mean, there, you, you just go down. There's, there, there've been a few bright spots. I thought Devin Askey played very well against North Carolina. I thought uh, Lance Ware was, was very solid. Davion Mintz kind of feels like the only consistent guy on this whole roster right now. Um, but I mean, outside of that, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just an absolute mess. And, and yeah, I, I think, I think this team right now is kind of looking there. It, it kind of feels like they're at the bottom of that mountain, looking up at the very top. Like I, I, I don't even know if we can make it to the top. I don't even know if we can get halfway up to the top. I mean, the, I think uh, it's it's just as much desperation and panic uh, with when, within the players as it is with the coaching staff. All right, really quickly, I want to get to this kid, uh, Cameron Fletcher, who did leave on, uh, I guess it was Sunday or Monday. Um, you know, and, and I, I listened to your podcast before I, I did this. I want to make sure I kind of knew where you stood. But, but your reaction and your co-host reaction, Sean, was similar to mine. Um, which is that I've followed this program for years. Um, and John Calipari has always, he, he, listen, you can criticize Calipari for roster construction, the way the team's playing, individual, whatever, but he's always very publicly had his players' backs. Um, and I think back to last year, uh, Khalil Whitney kind of leaves the team. And, and, you know, even before that happened, you know, I'm working with him. We're trying to get through this together. When he leaves, it's nothing but positive. You know, the point I brought up on Twitter, Ashton Hagens gets, I don't know if it was ever officially called suspended, but he gets left behind before. Suspended. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was suspended. Yeah. And, you know, Calipari, listen, you know, we're going to work through this. And obviously the season, you know, gets canceled from that point because of non-basketball stuff. But, you know, he's always very publicly had his guys back. So when I see these very strong comments about, you know, Cameron Fletcher, the player again who left the program uh, or basically was sent home from the program earlier this week, it speaks to me that it is both um, that, that it's something bigger than just sulking and crying and being emotional on the court, which again, I, I will say that I forgive him if that's all it is, but you know, one, how bad is it? And is it a Cameron Fletcher thing or is it a team thing? Because it, it feels like, 
a lot of young guys, a lot of inexperience, immaturity, which is to be expected from a six, seven, eight man freshman class. It feels like while this was really bad for Cameron Fletcher individually, it may also speak to bigger problems kind of within the entire team as a whole. Yeah. So I kind of mentioned this on that podcast. There were um, very loud whispers at the time of Cam's commitment when it, or it whenever it kind of became clear that he was going to end up a wildcat there were people that have followed his basketball career closely both very close to him and kind of watching it from afar um that that told me directly that this kid is not a right fit at Kentucky he's not going to make it like I mean there were there were doubts going into um his career at Kentucky and before that reason I kind of had a personal connection with him as a you know everybody thinks this kid is going to fail nobody thought Cameron Fletcher you know was going to make it at Kentucky for for various reasons and you know so really when quick, I, I believe it was that's important so why whatever you can share and I'm sure there's personal stuff that you don't feel comfortable sharing but when you make a statement like that it's going to pique people's interest what 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 made the people that you spoke with believe that he wouldn't be a great fit for this program. That same passion, that same emotion, that same, they, it was kind of a, a broad locker room issue statement that, that they're like, he's, he's had some issues in the locker room in the past. And, and, you know, you, you go to his Vashon high school uh, program, his coach was like the first person to, 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 to take his side after all this and said, you guys don't know what's going on. Uh, he's a passionate kid. You just got to bear with him. And again, that's part of the reason why I'm so like why I, I love this kid so much because he um, I, I drove out to, to St. Louis I covered him I, I talked to him a whole night as a senior night talked to his mother talked to his family members great great kid great family and he he kept saying over and over again I, I just want to make you know he kept saying a lot of people where I'm from um, the the area that I live in they don't make it out they don't they don't get out of where they are and I want to be able to you know kind of put you know his his mom's raising him um she's a fantastic woman and and he really wants to get out of of that area and provide for his mother and, and he's he gets so passionate and so emotional about it and that's why when he had that that little breakdown on on the the bench against North Carolina I looked at that and I was like that doesn't shock me at all because he's he has worked so hard to get to where he was and he's probably in his position like man Two games ago, you put me in the starting lineup, Cal. You you told me that I was good enough to to provide for this team and to work and, and to you know have some production on this team. And then two games later, you say that I'm not good enough. You give me one minute against North, uh, Notre Dame or what, two, three minutes, whatever it was. Very minimal opportunities to to succeed. And then North Carolina, very similar situation. It's like. It, it, for a program and, and, you know, all these college basketball players going through what they are this season with the mental health stuff and just the, you know, the, their whole lives are basically, they wake up, they go to the practice facility, they go back, they eat whatever the chef cooks them down, down the hall. Uh, they play video games in the dorm and they go back to the gym. They have no life whatsoever. So when you're a guy like Cameron Fletcher, where that is your only out, that is the only thing that he has. And, in his minimal opportunities, he's, he's not getting it done. Of course, you're going to get emotional. Now that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, allow some of the stuff that happened off the court and that stuff I'm, I'm not sure of. Um, but you know, there, there were some whispers that I think Drew Franklin said on, on KSR, the, the radio show that there were people overhearing him at the, at the airport, he was being loud and, and, um, kind of criticizing the uh, Calipari and the program that that was a, you know, very, 
prominent thing. And I think that got back to Calipari. That's kind of where some of that frustration came from. But so, yeah, I think the situation's very rough around the edges, very touchy subject for everybody involved. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm rooting for this kid to, to come back. I hope that he kind of, you know, kind of uses this as alert as a, you know, a lesson and says, yeah, I screwed this first, this first part of, of my Kentucky career up. I, I got to get back on the right track. Let's, let's get this thing done. I, that's what I'm personally hoping for. But again, yeah, there, there have been, some red flags there along the way that does make this kind of a, a difficult situation. So what that speaks to me too is, you know, the fact that I think we all forget sometimes these are 17, 18, 19 year old kids. I've made it explicitly clear on my show, this show, how hard it is, all the things that you said, by the way, that was why coach K was wrong about shutting down the season, but that was two episodes <laughs> ago, neither here nor there. Um, you know, it, is it, so it sounds like you think that there's the possibility that he could be back because when I hear you talk about it like that, it sounds to me like a, a, a kid that's probably never been coached as hard as he's coached, uh, emotional like we all were at 18. And, you know, I can think of a million kids in, in college basketball throughout the time that I've been following it where, you know, as a freshman, you're button heads with your coach. It's the first time you've ever been yelled at. It's the first time you've ever been told no. It's the first time you're not starting. And then, you know, in a more traditional basketball sense, you know, end of the year, sophomore, junior, senior year, you figure it out and you and your coach have the this great relationship obviously Kentucky's different guys don't generally stay four years but it sounds as though at least right now as we record at the end of the day Tuesday one there's a possibility that that this uh this kid not only comes back to the program but that it really is what John Calipari said in his statement that was released via Twitter that you know um that we just have a, a, an expectation of how players are going to handle themselves on and off the court and that we hope this kid can but right now he's not meeting that expectation yeah, he said he went on his call-in show, uh, Calipari did last night, Monday evening, and said, yes, there is an avenue for him to return back to school. Um, I, I talked to his mother. We, we have a mutual understanding with one another that, yes, um, there is a lot of work to be done. There was a pretty, pretty strong quote that was basically like, he needs to, there's some changing necessary for him, and he's not willing to make that change right now. Um, a pretty, pretty strong quote from, from Calipari, but it all came back to, he is able to come back. We want him back in the program. He's like, I love him to death. You know, I, I wouldn't have brought him into this program if I didn't, but when he does, if, and when he does return, it's going to be under our conditions, under our circumstances. So whether that's a, you come back and you, you have a one strike policy where you're gone after that, that, you know, I don't know what the, what the specifics will be, but um, Cal at least is leaving that, that door open for him and, and for, uh, you know, just, just knowing his story and talking to him and knowing, knowing that family, I, I personally hope that uh, Cam takes advantage of it because I think it is a, a great opportunity for him. And I, I think he's going to be a great player down the road. I mean, not, not this year, but year two, year three, I think Cam Fletcher could be a very, very uh, important player in this Kentucky basketball roster. So for, you know, selfish reasons, I, I, I yeah, I would love to see him back. How about the rest of the team? Um, you look at this roster, it's kind of this weird collection of guys that have been told, and I don't think it's their fault that they're going to be lottery picks, guys that have been told they're going to be two, three, four-year college players, guys that are only here for one year as, as, as older players and transfers. Um, and, you know, there's been various reports. Um, I saw Kyle Tucker, who whatever he blocked me on Twitter, but I saw the report that he said um, that, um, you know, that there's some push pull from Calipari and, and this, this roster. 
What about the rest of this group? Because, you know, the funny thing was, too, the other thing I'll say, you know, in listening to your podcast, you and your co-host brought it up, and I, I had thought about this as well, is that, you know, Cameron Fletcher was one of the guys that was coming to the gym early and putting in even more work than was required. And if, if you're having kind of discipline issues with him, you would think he's one of the guys that's more bought in than others. Um, where does the rest of the roster stand? Because, again, um, you're one in five, um, and everybody had a different little thing that they were hoping to get out of this season. Nobody's getting what they hope they get out of it. Uh, I don't know if it's attitude issues, ego issues, whatever, but but are there internal problems outside of, of the one kid who has at least for now left the program? Uh, well, yeah, if you're going to go on what Kyle Tucker wrote, he specifically said that there's a, a there's a power struggle within the organization. And he said with a, with several key players on the roster. And if you're just, you know, looking at the roster, who would those key players be? B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark, the two top 10 recruits out of high school, who B.J. Boston is a kid that before he even got on campus, he said that I was going to that I'm going to have a film crew follow me around this year because this season is going to be a movie. We didn't know that would be a, a horror movie uh, at the time when he said that, but uh, yeah, he, he, he said that, you know, the, he had these expectations going into the year that I, I don't want to say that he just kind of assumed that everything would just be as, you know, happy dandy, every, you know, everything's perfect. Uh, but, you know, if you are willing to bring in a film crew to cover your entire freshman season, knowing that it's going to be a movie and it's going to be fantastic and all that, where, where is your mindset regarding you know your own play and, and where you think your development can be and you know th those type of things makes me wonder has he been working hard enough in the gym and I know he was the one that started the, the breakfast uh, breakfast club thing knowing that yeah my play hasn't been great to start out the year so he at least did something about that but uh, you and I both know I think we've talked about this in the past that you know there were some things about Terrence Clark before he got to Kentucky why why was he not being invited to these team USA events why are there some of these you know you know I I, I told you this story I flew up to Boston to do you know I go, went to the Hoop Hall Classic I was going to go uh, cover a Celtics game talk to Enos Cantor and then I was going to uh, drive up to Brewster and do like a day in the life type thing we were doing our uh, you know you did a couple of these you did one on BJ Boston the like yep. you know preseason preview for these recruits and I got up to Boston. I called their coach. I called Jason Smith and I said, hey, I am here. I am ready to get in the car and drive two hours to come see you. And they didn't want me there. They did not <laughs> want me to, they did not want me to put a spotlight on this kid. Why is that? I have never covering, you know, covering recruits. And, you know, I, I Cameron Fletcher was a kid that I called that school up and I said, hey, I have this, this idea. I want to put this kid on a positive spotlight. You know, I'm all about, you know, putting kids in good lights and, and all that. I, 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 I love that. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's come on, you know, come on during your, during his senior night, let's get this set up. Every time I've tried to do something along those lines, every school goes out of their way to highlight their kids because it's a good look for their school. I mean, it, it's, it's common sense. That's the first time that they didn't want me to highlight a kid. Why is that? And that was, and that was, that was kind of red flag. Number one, it's like, why, why does nobody want to talk to me about this kid? Why is, why is everything so secretive? Does the, does the kid not like to talk? Do they not like talking about him? Whatever the case was that on top of some of the other, you know, rumors and rumblings about his, you know, in his recruitment and all that, where it's always the talent's absolutely there. You just got to, you know, kind of work with him a little bit in terms of maturity. And, and Cal even said that going into the year. Yeah. There's, there were some maturity issues with, with uh, Clark going into the year. So that, you know, that's not me reporting anything. That's something Calipari has said, but yeah, I, I think, I don't want to say that, that there's some, you know, 
long lasting turmoil that the season's just going to implode any more than it already has. But going back to their recruitments and, and, you know, you could kind of see some of the writing on the wall back then. And some of those smaller red flags is in a situation like the one we're in going to magnify those, or is Cal going to be able to, to, to keep that in house? Uh, and I think that's the big question right now. That's really interesting. Cause I also uh, separately uh, further on down the road during this pandemic, when there was nothing to write about, I was circling back with a lot of people uh, with a lot of these kids and, you know, some of them were the the graduate guy, the transfer guys. Oh, you know, you coached against them, played against them. And it was hard to get people to talk. And I I feel terrible saying it because I don't know why. And it might not have, I don't know why. And I don't want to say it was anything bad. Like you said, maybe he's just, doesn't like to be interviewed, doesn't like to talk to, but I had trouble finding people to talk to me about Terrence Clark in March, April, May, when there was nothing to do, but get on the phone and, 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 you know, talk. So that's, that's definitely concerning. Let me real quick, a couple more questions. We'll get out of here. I know you got stuff to do. First of all, how much of this, and this is something that I've tried to argue on, on, you know, my, my show here, how much of this is just, almost a perfect storm of of issues where young, not youngest but most least experienced returning into the program you get to campus later than you usually do you can't play you have fewer practices you can't do summer practices you can't play five on five as much and just play pickup you can't hang out off the court when the games go final because you got to go back to your dorms and then and this is the one that i think is really important you don't get to play anybody out of conference that you can just beat up and feel good about yourself. I mean, if nothing else other than that, we're playing a 31 game season where you get to play Moorhead state um, university of Hartford, who was on the schedule, you know, you just get two or three of these games to feel good about yourself. How much of it is that? Because I just look at all of this and I say, you know, when you get thrown into the fire and like, I'm not saying that Kentucky should lose to Richmond based on the the personnel on the floor, but Kentucky versus Richmond, Georgia, I mean, these are veteran teams unafraid, you know, the Georgia Tech game guys are dunking in people's faces and yelling, you know, how much of it is just that you didn't have those two, three, four games to just get your feet wet, get confidence, feel good about yourself. And you jumped right into a gauntlet that's essentially been, you know, NCAA tournament caliber team since the second game of the season. Yeah, they I, they needed exhibition play shoot. They needed blue white games. They needed, you know, all of the little tiny things that build up to what we get. Uh, you know, those are the kind of we can work out some of the kinks and some of the issues with, uh, you know, with with the roster. But I kind of keep going back to did did Calipari potentially get you know have misread this this team going into the year and kind of think he had something that he really didn't because I I, you know I keep going back he did media tour you know he did interview after interview went on ESPN and all these radio shows and every you know he was just as bored as all of us were so he was trying to use every opportunity he could to you know talk to talk to whomever and and every single chance he got he he hyped this team up like no other said the only thing that's going to beat us is the coronavirus well uh, mm-hmm. apparently Richmond and Kansas and go down the list. Yeah. They, they can all beat you too. Uh, but you know, he used all those opportunities saying that this could be one of our special teams and special groups. Did he look at, you know, back then when the, he wasn't able to do five on five stuff and it was a lot of more, you know, majority uh, individual work that we've gotten to see them in the past. We've seen all these other kids. We've seen all these kids in individual settings. We knew that Isaiah Jackson is an individual talent was going to be good. We knew Olivier Sauer was going to be good. We know you go down the list, 
And I wonder if Cal saw that and just assumed that they would mesh whenever the five on five start stuff started, because the first time we ever heard Cal get even remotely pessimistic about this team was the Sunday before the very, the, the before the Moorhead state game where they had their last tune up, like individual intra squad scrimmage. And he went and told the media, he said, uh, I have both my hands and feet on the panic button. We could start the year. zero and six. That was the first time he went, he went from, this team could be one of my best ever to holy crap, we're horrible. Where, where was that disconnect there? And part of, part of my thinking is, did he see what we, you know, did he kind of buy into that hype that, that we kind of bought into as well, knowing how good they were as individual talents and maybe took his foot off the gas a little bit in terms of development and, and running typical drills thinking they were more advanced than they were and then had to backpedal very quickly just a couple weeks before the season when he realized they weren't as far along as as he maybe anticipated so part of yeah part of my thinking is Cal screwed screwed up at some point and and kind of hyped this team up to be more than they are and is now trying to pick up the pieces going oh crap we should not be six games into the season right now we should just be entering the the you know some of the more difficult games instead of where they are right now going into you know the Louisville game and then SEC play immediately immediately afterward so over the weekend and I think this is a question I wanted to ask you and I didn't anticipate even having you on the podcast but you wrote what I thought was an unbelievable piece a great piece about a player named Dante Allen and I think any any Kentucky fan listening knows the story, but high school, basically legend in the state of Kentucky, bucket getter. Um, and, you know, you basically just said like, and you were very critical. I, I give you so much credit, man, because you just came out and said, why is this guy not playing? Um, and, and I bring it up as a broader question to just the Calipari model, if you will. I know that for people who don't follow the program day in and day out, um, a few years ago, they had a kid named Jamal Baker. Never clicked with Calipari. He's averaging 14 a game for Arizona this year. Uh, Johnny Juzang, uh, never really clicked for Arizona, never really clicked for Kentucky. Um, at UCLA, he's playing well for Mick Cronin. Now you have this Dante Allen situation. And I look at kind of where we're going with college basketball and a couple things. I think one, you know, th this one-time transfer rule is coming. And I think Kentucky fans has always looked at it from the glasses half full. Well, we'll just be able to go whoever, get whoever we want off other people's rosters. And I've always tried to tell Kentucky fans, wait a second now, that freshman that you're hoping to turn into a two, three, four-year player, Calipari buries him at the end of the bench. He's going to be gone midseason every single time. Guys don't wait three years to get it figured out. And so I, I just look at, not just this Dante Allen situation, but it always feels like there's a guy that either Calipari doesn't like, doesn't trust, he picks on. And I just think we're at a point where you just can't bury these guys on the bench and expect them to stick it out for two or three years. Um, and, it, and, and it can't always be the kid's fault when they transfer. Where, where are we at, not only with Dante Allen, but with the idea of developing players within this program? Because I look across college basketball right now, it, it it's every year, but it's highlighted this year because of the coronavirus. You need older guys. You need guys that just can show up day in and day out, know what to expect. The coaches trust you, you vice versa. Kentucky doesn't have those guys. I don't see those guys being developed within the program. And I guess what I would say is in the bigger picture of the next three, four, five years, I don't think it can just be the one and done guys anymore. I really don't. I this this was kind of my big hot take topic, especially after this last game. 
I genuinely don't think role players feel like they fit at Kentucky. I don't, I don't think they, they feel like they, they fit under Calipari. I feel like Cal brings in these players and as much as he does the, I don't make promises. I don't do any of that. The proof is in the pudding in what he's actually doing with those said players for him to come out in, in his post-game press conference and basically say, Dante Allen isn't playing right now because the players ahead of him in the rotation need to be able to miss their shots. I thought that was one of the most just mind boggling quotes that you could possibly have. You have a guy on your bench that we have no idea who he is. If he goes out there and he sucks and he's, and he's, you know, yeah, he was a four star for a reason and, you know, can't defend worth a lick, whatever. If he goes out there and, and, and he sucks, I think Kentucky fans can still be honest with themselves and be like, all right, well, it was worth a shot. I mean, we, I, I was, you know, going on podcasts and national radio saying, I think Cameron Fletcher could be the guy that you put in the starting lineup. Cal gave that a shot and it didn't work all that well. And I was like, all right, well, at least he gave it a shot. Guys like Dante Allen, guys like Jamal Baker, guys like Johnny Juzang, you go back to that Auburn game, the, the 2019, 20, it was a 2018-19 season, that, that Elite Eight game against Auburn. Jamal Baker fouled on a three-pointer with about four minutes left in the first half. Kyle looked at him and said, I can't play you and yanked him from the game. And I mean, they just, just stared him down. I mean, it was just, just really ugly look on national television. Didn't play him for the rest of the game. Didn't play any of the second half. Didn't play any of overtime. Like three or four minutes later, Tyler Hero, same exact situation. Yet another horrible foul on a three-pointer. Kyle didn't even look his way. Didn't complain. Didn't say anything. Nobody's saying that Jamal Baker needs to be playing over Tyler Hero. Nobody's saying that it's okay, that it's, that, it, you know, Cal's supposed to be treating the star players the exact same as the role players. But when you kind of, you reinforce bad behavior with your star players by telling BJ Boston, it's okay for you to get in there and miss shots because, you know, that's who you are. You're going to come in, you're going to take shots, and sometimes you miss them. When you reinforce that bad behavior, you're you're slapping the Jamal Bakers in the face, the, the Jamal Bakers of the world in the face, the the Johnny Juzangs of the world, the Dante Allens, because you brought in those players w- under the assumption that they are going to be your skilled, dynamic scoring threats. He brought in Johnny Juzang saying, "Hey, I want you to be our superstar shooter off the bench." And Johnny's like, "Yeah, that's an awesome that's an awesome role to have. I you know year two, year three, I can be that guy." But when you go in and you miss one single shot, and Cal says, eh, "Yep, you're done. Get out of there." or you have one missed defensive assignment. B.J. Boston can have 30 missed defensive assignments a game and not get pulled, but uh, Dante Allen has one, and Cal's like, yep, that's why I can't play you. There's a there's a disconnect there between Cal's star talent and the bench players that, the, the I mean, there's a reason that the, the star players feel comfortable on this, right? Even though this year, they even those guys aren't, but the bench players always look, feel like they're on the outside looking in on this roster. That's why Cal, I mean, Cal has to, if if Dante Allen transfers away from this program, the most beloved, one of the most beloved Kentucky stars that we've had in the last decade in state kids. If, if Cal turns that kid away and he leaves the program and transfers to a WKU or a, you know, NKU or a Purdue or something like that. I don't know if Cal will ever get another in-state kid again. And I think the fan base is going to turn, uh, turn against him in a way that you, you wouldn't get with a Jamal, with a Jamal Baker, or Johnny Juzang, but because he is who he is, Cal can't screw up with this. And unfortunately we're at this point where there are, there are already rumblings about that potentially being an issue down the road. So um, yeah, I, I kind of wrote that as a desperation. Cal has to do something or, or he will transfer away from the program and, and, you know, even the most diehard fans are going to look at that and be like, wow, we can't even get Mr. Basketballs in this state to stay home. That's an issue. 
So, and then I, that would lead perfectly to a follow-up. I mean, out not just in the smaller picture of this season, but I do think there's some cracks in the foundation for the bigger picture of going forward. If John Calipari remains stubborn on this, if he refused, th- that to me personally, I believe is the biggest issue. Everybody says we need veterans. We, and you do, and you do, and you do. But players need to know that they can come in, have a role, um, you know, and, and to constantly recruit over them with younger freshmen. And I get it, right? You get a chance to get a five-star, nobody's turning that down, but then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where a kid comes in, you know, you get him back for that second year, but he doesn't do, you know, but then he's got somebody else. You know, I can even, I'll give you a good example real quick. Emmanuel Quickly, SEC player of the year last year. Um, if Emmanuel Quickly wasn't one of the most mentally headstrong kids you know, he's out, he's out because, you know, he was brought in, he's recruited over in his own class with Ashton Hagens, then he's recruited over in the next class with Khalil Whitney and all these different, and he just said, no, you're, I'm going to make you play me. And, you know, the rest is history. Now he's balling out for the New York Knicks. But if Cal doesn't change on this, it it feels like a real issue that isn't going to get solved. And in this era of one-time transfer, of, you know, the G League stuff where uh, the best players might not even be coming to college going forward. Is this a concern in the big picture? Because I look at it, and to me, that's the biggest single issue right now. Cal system works when he is getting the top five level recruits and not the, you know, the Kate Cunningham's of the world, not the B.J. Boston. B.J. Boston is is that hoorah type, type recruit. But Cal's system works whenever he gets the Kate Cunninghams of the world. If he, you know, the Jalen Greens of the world, this next class, Jaden Hardy, that is a kid that, that no matter how this is going right now, you know, UCLA pro route, you know, all those other factors, Cal's system right now works with those type of players. It does not work with the bottom tier top 10 recruits. And then a, a plethora of, I mean, yeah, he had the number one recruiting class in the, in the country this year, but four of those players were, were ranked lower than 25 in the nation. I believe so you, you have to have the top heavy talent to, to kind of justify all that. And, and yeah, I completely agree. I, even me personally, I thought that the one and done, the, the one-time transfer rule would be just a knockout success home run out of the park. Cal's going to be able to get all the Luca Garza's of the world. The, the best college basketball players will all want to come to Kentucky but right now they are not putting a product on the court that makes the, I keep using Luca Garza as, as an example, but guys like that where they don't look at this system and go, ah, I am that missing piece. That's, that's an issue. It feels like when Cal started missing on some of those guys, you know, two, three years ago, kind of started with James, the James Wiseman's and, you know, those type of guys, it kind of felt like we were trending this direction and I didn't think it would kind of, implode the way it has as quickly as it has maybe it was just uh, the the wrong mixture of talent that just kind of just sped up this process whatever the case was the formula is not working right now and I'm very worried that it's going to be a long-term issue you know moving forward Uh, I I like what they have with the recruiting class in this next year and and I do think they're going to be able to pull in some some elite talent on on the transfer market but it's not going to be as as you know happy dandy as I think many of us anticipated going into it. Oh yeah, I completely agree. Perfect. You know, last question. We just talked about the big picture, but let's, let's do the thing, you know, Calipari in his defense, there have been dark moments and he has turned it around. 
do you see the scenario where it gets turned around this year? Because I can still look at it and I, 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 by the way, I've been wrong for three weeks now, but I, I can still look at it and say, you're a shot away from beating Notre Dame. You've had leads in all of these games and it just takes one game to get the win, to do the locker room celebration, to feel good about yourself again. And look, is this team going to, you know, if they're one in five now, are they going to finish 22 and six? No, but it, but I, I can still see the scenario where it gets righted this year. You get to the NCAA tournament. And then as we all know, the NCAA tournament's a crapshoot. Some of Calipari's deepest runs haven't been his best teams, but um, do you still see that, that, that pathway that it could happen? Not that it will, but that it could, because for all the negative and everything you and I have been talking about, I do still feel like, man, if you can just get one of these wins under your belt and feel good and, and prove that what we're doing every day in practice is working, I do feel like it can flip. Yeah, and, and I've, I've said that the last three weeks, I think exactly what you said. Oh, this is a must win, and then it's not a win. And then, oh, well, this this is the must win right here. This one right here, and then they lose. And, and I, I did this all the way up until this North Carolina game, and I said, this is the game, if they lose this game, the title dreams that you know that level of hope is gone we are we have now dropped down to the hope is can we make the NCAA tournament and until further notice until we until there's some level of momentum I think the goal right now is to make the NCAA tournament not to make any type of run I mean one in five is there's a there's a reason that the last time Kentucky has been one in five Basil Hayden was the head coach and it was 19 1926 and 1927 this is a, a a dumpster fire of a season right now and if they want to just put that fire out ever so slightly they gotta they gotta rack up wins and they have to do it right now they you know if, if they lose against Louisville this weekend no I, I don't see them coming back especially with if it, if this were a typical 31 game season yeah maybe because there's more of a, a a larger sample size a longer period of for them to kind of write that shit but 27 games you're already at a, at a disadvantage going into the year you've already put yourself behind so much by starting with five losses five straight losses uh you know to start this season i you know i'm the eternal optimist i, I always find some you know some reason to to be excited and 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 optimistic about things but as of right now, I, I, I'm very, um, I'm very worried. Yeah. Let me, let me just put that out there. Wish I, I wish I could end on a, a kumbaya moment here. I was, I was really trying to set you up for the kumbaya moment there. And you, you gave me, dude, you're, you know, you're like Kentucky from the three point line, man. You gave me nothing there. I just needed, you were wide open. I just, I, I set you up. All you had to do was knock down the wide open jumper, man. Until they, until they make down, make yes. those jumpers on the floor then I can't, dude, I, I use every opportunity. I was the one saying this might be a platoon team. This is going to be a title <laughs> contender. As soon as Olivier Sar got eligible, I was the one that was the, yep. you know, trying to be the rallying cry for everybody. I was the one that got burnt one too many times. I'm the, I'm the just disheartened, uh, yeah. disheartened fa fan media guy. That's, that's just like, well, you know, we're at this point now that until they, until they prove me right, I guess, from, from several months back, then, uh, I, I don't have much reason for for optimism as of yet. 
this is a good yeah. this is a big weekend Louisville, Louisville's a big game it is no and I'll say also you know I feel partly responsible for all this as well I mean you know I have some small voice in the media and I watched Olivier Sar last year at Wake Forest I talked to coaches who played against him that were like dude we were praying that he got into the portal and we tried to get in touch with him and and you know next thing you know he's committing to Kentucky and there was nothing we could really do but like you know, I talked to Big East coaches that love Davion Mintz. Not that Davion Mintz is the problem, but, you know, I talked to – we. you know, you and I talked to a lot of the uh, – the point being is I feel I'm partly responsible as well because, yes, I thought, you know, it's going to be a rough start, but, you know, you're going to win a few of these games, and it just – it hasn't clicked. But I have not completely lost hope yet, and, and I, I do I, – you know, I've seen this too many times in college basketball, and, you know, as a UConn alum, there was – three or you know ironically the year before uh, I won't say the year because they may have been in Kentucky in the final four that year but um oh that one know, okay yeah <laughs> no it was it was 2011 but the year before 2010 you know they every game they were in and they just couldn't get over that hump couldn't get over that hump and eventually it just became a self-fulfilling prophecy and I just I've seen it so many times across college basketball where it's like if you can just get that one win you know, that one win, the whole thing flips. So we'll see, you know, but anyway, Jack Pilgrim, uh, Sources Say Podcast. Uh, it is just a wealth of college basketball and really Kentucky knowledge specifically. Uh, when I'm trying to formulate are my thoughts correct, I go to you and your team there. Uh, so, dude, thank you, man. Um, let's try to do this again when there's some positive stuff to talk about. I'm feeling good that there will be some positive stuff at some point. But thank you for carving out so much time, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Whoop. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.